The scripture reading is from 1 Timothy 6, 11 through 21. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, church. Good morning, those online. Uh, again, my name is Mike. I'm an associate pastor here, pastor of spiritual formation and care. So it's my pleasure to be here and bring God's word this morning as well. Um, a few years ago, I had a friend here front, that's not from Atlanta who had a friend in Atlanta who sent me someone who was really struggling. It was a guy that he was good friends with. I didn't really know him. But he, he sent him because there was just some big struggles going on in this man's life. Um, he, he had a hard time being emotionally available to his family and his wife. And, and she had gone through surgery, and it kind of just rocked him. Um, he, didn't, he was just having a really hard time. And so, um, you know, I, I started meeting with him, and, and we— you know, he began to talk. I'd ask him questions about his life, about his family. And this guy was an open book. I mean, he just was telling me everything, like on and on and on, you know, going really well. And two sessions go, two times with him go by, and I'm like, wow, this guy's amazing. Like, I really wonder what's going on here. Well, then the surgery happens, and he comes in, and he's got all this fear. And so I start, oh, yes, I finally got something to kind of go in after him here. And so we go, start going after the fear, and, and I begin to learn things about his family. Uh, things that, that he would just kind of say, you know, and, and put out there, but didn't feel really connected to. And like, oh, there's some, you know, there, there's some stuff here, you know. And, and on he goes, he goes, and he's, and he's telling about his father and the distance there and how his father pushed him and was hard on him and how he had this drive to get this attention and care from his father. On we go, we go. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, oh, this is what it is. There is this drive in this man, this, this need to fill this hole in him, and that's what his wife is missing. That's why he can't be available. He is, is, is so empty in there. He can, he's constantly taking, and he can't give, right? And so I stopped this, and I was like, I'll just call him Matt. I was like, Matt, you know, the last few weeks I've been kind of bedoozled by you, man. I've been kind of like, man, well, you know, why does this guy need this stuff? And, and you know, today I, I wonder... I wonder if we can slow down a little bit. I wonder if this fear is a gift for you. This struggle, your wife's surgery even, is a gift for you. That if you could slow down maybe and see that her need and what it's bringing out of you is really good for you. 
it's really good for you to stop and see. Because I'm going to be honest with you. I've, I've been three weeks with you. And you've told me your life history. And I don't feel close to you. I feel like I, I know about you, but I don't really know you. I don't feel like our intimacy has grown in our time together. You know, we... Oh, oh, and I said, I finally said this. I said, and you know what? I'm really scared for you because the very place you come to for help, you're continuing to do the same thing you've always done, perform. I wonder if you're so good at counseling that I don't know how to help you. You're so good at telling your story, I can't help you. You know, and I, I say that to, as we enter this book, this last chapter of First Timothy. It's a beautiful text that we've been walking through to, to, to get a vision for what we desire as a church, right? And we've been putting on that each week. And, and hopefully in chapter 6, you're hearing a lot of things over, that we've been saying. He, he basically summarizes everything he said, which is kind of hard for that last pastor to come in and give you everything. It's already been said in a lot of ways, but we're, I think we got some good stuff here. But first of all, as we enter into this last chapter, this last part of this last chapter, you know... I wonder if my friend Matt has something for us. I think as a church, sometimes we're so good at church. We're so good at just talking and say, hey, man, it's good to see you. We should get together, you know? And, and we have these good intentions when we come together, but often it doesn't lead to greater intimacy, greater closeness as a body. And, and this morning, you know, I, I want to start by saying I worry for us. Because it's what Paul talks about. He says, he says, flee certain things because, you, and, and the word flee has the, the connotation of fear in it. Get away from it because if it grabs your heart, you miss it. You miss out on what God has for you. And so we, I just want to start this morning with that fear that, that are we too good at church? Are we too good at relationships to really come here and let our hair down? Come here and be seen. Go into our DNA groups and our community groups to let people know us and see us well. As we enter in to our last passage here to get a vision for who we are as a church, I want to focus on the last thing he says. The last thing, verse 21. Grace be with you. Grace be with you. That's, you know, any author who's writing something, the last thing he says is so important. Grace be with you. And so this morning, as we summarize, as we look again at a lot of what we've already seen, I, again, I won't spend a lot of time on it, but as we go back into these things that, that builds to grace be with you, as we build to it, I want you to know that you is plural. Remember, this is to Timothy, my son. Grace be to you. This letter actually is not just to Timothy, it's to the church. And everything he's saying that he wants to be true of Timothy and the leaders and the organization, he wants to be true of us as a body. And so, like my friend Matt, look, can we begin, can we be confronted by the text to be the church? To, to not just hear things about him, but move in intimacy towards our God that leads us towards each other. And, and 2 Timothy 2, one of my favorite verses is Campus Outreach's theme verse. It says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace of that is in Christ Jesus. And you remember this? And what you have heard from me, Paul, to Timothy, in the presence of many witnesses, and trust a faithful man who will be able to teach others also. Paul ends his letter with be strengthened in grace. So how are we strengthened in grace? Three ways. One, we're going to look at the priority of grace. The priority of it. 
The second thing we're going to look at is the pursuit of grace. And then finally, the power of grace. So let's dive in there. First, the priority. Um, Priority is being in the condition of the most important, the first thing, the, the fundamental thing. Verse 11 says, but as for you, and, and he's talking about what Scott talked about last week. The, the first ten verses of, of chapter six was all of these things in this list of, of, of hardships like cravings, idolatry, struggles, all kinds of evil from, from the earlier in chapter six. But as for you, O man of God, separating Timothy and the church as something different. We, we want to be something different. So firstly, but as for you, something else needs to, something else before was given priority. And what we see, what Paul keeps going back to is money. Money has been the primary, one of the primary things that these people have brought in, and they're looking to gain more of it. They're looking to, to bring something into the body that would lead to their gain in money. And what's happened is, whatever you put at the center of your heart, or the center of your community, then has a doctrine, then has a way it's lived out. And so if money has become the middle, then, then it can't support love and care and honor and hope. And so the body is beginning to look like what it should look like if money was the most important thing to it. And Paul says, no, confront that. Move into that. Speak to that. Don't, don't let that grab you. He wants them to know that the precedence is a relationship with God. That, that you, O oh man of God, man of, you who are separated, you who have God at your central, you, that, that's what has to be centered because when he's centered, when he's your priority, everything flows from him. Everything has its proper order. You've gotten out of order. Remember, Revelations 2 is talking about the church at Ephesus. You, you started great, but you left your first love. And so he's saying you put something else in the middle. And so our priority has to be his grace. It has to be the fundamental thing that that is our starting place for everything else we do. He says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things. Charges, I pass this on to you. Uh, The presence of God, Think it's, it's strange. It's almost like he's saying he's in heaven or he's with, God's right here, we're in his presence, and I'm charging you in his presence. What he's saying is my authority has been given from, from God. My relationship with God is what leads me to give this to you in this body. I charge you in the presence of God. Life is now lived in awareness and in relationship to God. He is the giver and the sustainer of life. Live in, listen to this A.W. Tozer. Tozer was an old, old preacher, and it's a, it's a pretty common one. You might have heard it, but just I want you to close your eyes and hear it. Just listen to this quote from him. He says this, What comes into your minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts about God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not that he is at any given time or or that he at a given time may say or do, but what he is in his deep heart conceives God to be like. 
That's what's most important, what he perceives God to be like. We tend, by a secret law of the soul, to move toward our mental image of God. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but the company of Christians that composes the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. Close quote. That's what's most important. What's, what we give priority, what is first, is what's most important. So can, can we stop and hear that this morning? Can we stop and, and, and wonder, what, what, is, what is priority? What is given, what's first there? What, what aligns everything else and orders everything else I do? Is it his grace? Is it this presence of God? Paul, as he continues to write, he uh, commentators point out that he overflows into doxology, which is, you know, the, the doxology we sing, praise God. I don't want to do it, but, you know, from all blessings flow. I'm a terrible singer. Um, but uh, Paul overflows into it. That's what 15 and 16 are, is this overflowing of him. And he says, um, blessed is the and blessed and only sovereign, King of kings, Lord of lords, who alone is immortality, has immortality, dwells in unapproachable light, no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. In that doxology, what Paul is confronting, the people who are coming into this body, in their culture, the emperor is immortal. The emperor is Lord and King. He is the one that decides these things. Paul is saying, no, push the culture back. Jesus has that place in you. And he overflows into praise and praise as he thinks about his son Timothy and this body that he's planted. So, grace be with you means his grace has been passed down into you, into us, into his body. We are literally in him. We are in him. And, and grace is about this. Here's, a, here's a, some good definition for you. It's about God's activity. And is the dynamic expression and activity that enables God to confront human indifference and rebellion with an inexhaustible capacity to forgive and bless. That's what grace is. And so his presence is his confrontation with his blessing, with his care, that inexhaustible nature he has to forgive and love us. So that's the priority of grace. And now, if grace is our priority, it must be pursued. It must be something we are given to. And uh, the man of God, Paul says, oh man of God, he's, he's characterized by what he flees from, but also what he pursues. That's what our text tells us. It, what he flees from, he says, but it's for you, O oh man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. And so, again, continue from the last week, we're going to flee that list, what's brought unhealth to the body, the craving controversy, the corrupt in mind, the greedy for gain, the abandoned faith. We're going to flee those ways, flee setting money as the most important thing in our hearts, and turn and pursue this grace. You know, as a leader, as a leader, Paul, is, is, he, he's saying this for Timothy's benefit, his personal wrestling, but also for the body. And so for us, the same thing. And, and the pastors here and leaders here wrestle in this way. Not only do we want you individually to get it, to pursue and make grace your priority. Make the presence of God priority and first in your heart. But as a body, what shapes this body? What are we characterized by? What do we flee together and pursue together, right? Um, it's not enough just to get away, but we got to go towards something. And what are those things? The first one he says is righteousness. 
righteousness. And, and, and it's, it's good to understand righteousness by the, the other term, self-righteousness. What do we use to get a sense of rightness, completeness, wholeness? You know, if, if someone were to ask you, who are you? What makes you you? What makes you feel okay? What gives you a sense of shalom, rest? Is it when you pursue his righteousness, or does it come from somewhere else? Again, he's saying, flee one thing, pursue the other. Godliness. If there's a sense of rightness, if God gives us that sense of goodness and hope, and and he's poured that in us, then there will be a life given to him. And that's what godliness is. It's a life defined by following him, or consecrated to him, as one author says. Faith is trust and resting in him. We'll get to more of that. That now, those three things lead to a life of love. They lead to a life of where something has been put in you that comes out now and is directed towards people, directed toward things God's called us to. And so now, again, you see it? Something goes in to come out. There's not an emptiness that goes and and, and pushes something else there that comes out. No, Jesus' initiating love goes in and then pours out in love. And, And that is where the true test is. Do we love? Do we love well? So love and then steadfastness, which is really important to this part of the letter. He wants Timothy to persevere. It's getting hot there. It's tough. He's in a hard environment. Lots of struggles going on. And this word steadfastness means to stand under, to not give up. Don't surrender to it. Again, righteousness, godliness, faith, allow love, allow steadfastness. And finally, allow their uh, gentleness. Now, this word gentleness, I, I really love uh, the, the uh, dictionary I looked it up in, which was a biblical dictionary. It, it used Aristotle's quote. And Aristotle says this. He says, it, this word lies between excessive proneness to anger and incapacity for anger. So one who's excessive with anger and then one who can't get angry. This word lies somewhere right in the middle of that. And so gentleness has this sense of, of strength to it, but it also has this sense of humility to it. That, and so, again, gentleness, is a character, it characterizes the person who has his righteousness, his godliness, his faithfulness in his heart, and he is able to have a gentleness in the way he lives. So it's, it's gentleness and w- with strength in your gentleness and gentleness in your strength is a great way to think about it. I always say in marriage counseling, I would say women, the biblical picture of, of a woman is that she has a gentle strength, and of a man he has a strength with gentleness. It's just a beautiful picture of what the man and woman look like together. And Paul says, pursue these things. Flee those things, but pursue these things. Give yourself over to these things. And he gives us an example. He takes us back to the rich person. And this time, this time he changes it. He says, urge the rich. And now, he's actually talking about someone different than the enemies. He's actually talking about everyone in in Ephesus. This was a wealthy body. And it's not just the enemies that have come in and trying to get rich. He's saying that those who are rich in the body, which, which Scott set the table last week, there's nobody in here that's not. If, if we compare it with the rest of the world, we are rich people, right? And so he says to the rich, flee being haughty. Haughty is to think of yourself up here and them is down there. It has the word height in it and think in it. It's those two words together, and it makes up the word haughty. And he says, flee being haughty. Flee putting yourself up here and thinking of the poor or somebody else down there. 
Don't elevate yourself above, above others. And, and, and you know, you, you get the picture. There's this distance between a rich person and everyone else. He says, don't allow that distance. Fight it. Flee it. And then, don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches. There is an uncertainty. Don't, put your, don't rest on it. Flee putting your hope in it. Notice what he doesn't say, though. He doesn't say flee having your money. It never says that. You know what he instead says? He says, pursue the God who richly provides everything for you to enjoy. Like, this is something we miss out on as believers sometimes. Don't you almost feel guilty for enjoying some of the things that God's provided at times when we start hearing sermons like this especially? And he's saying, no, fight to enjoy it the right way. And, And as he goes on and says, flee it and then pursue this, he says, do good, be rich in good works so you can take hold of true life. Because money has the, it has the tendency, our heart has the tendency to, to put it as our foundation. And so as this example that's true of everyone in that body and in this body, flee putting your trust and rest in that. And look to the God who provides richly for you to enjoy. Your God wants you to enjoy life. But he says, always be generous and ready to share. Be ready. Be looking for opportunities to share what God has blessed you with. He says, "Be that's what you pursue. Storing up treasure for yourselves, the true investment, so you can take hold of life. Now, that is a great illustration for us. And, you know, we, as a body, try to live that out. Sure, here we talk about it, but our, our DNA groups are probably the best place. DNA and community groups, neighborhood communities, are probably the best place we do that. And, and there... I just want to give a little plug for him because we break into smaller places because here, I won't know those. I don't know what it means, like whatever your heart's prone to, to, to rest in that's rich for you. I don't know what that is for you. But I do know for the men I meet with every other week. I know what theirs is. And they're beginning to learn what mine is. And they charge me. They, they help me flee the things that are a temptation for me and pursue the things that God calls me to do with them. It is the place where we really get a lot of that done together. And so our DNA groups are, are that way because look at, look at the imagery. Hopefully you see it. This is the body of Christ. We want to be the deep. We want to live out that DNA. We want it to multiply inside of this body so that not only do you believe, but we believe. Not only do you flee, we flee. We pursue. The body grows together and works together. And, and Scripture tells us that's when it's healthy is when we're doing that together. Hebrews 10 says this, Let us hold fast our confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting meeting together as it is a habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That, that's why we do what we do in DNA and in our smaller groups, so you can be known there. And hopefully, again, we are able to go there and be who we are and allow ourselves to be seen. The last thing, if we have the priority and the pursuit of grace, now, how do we get the power of grace? The power of grace. And, and you know, he, he talks about this in verse 12, this fight. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life, which you were called, and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. That's verse 12. Fight, fighting is an athletic metaphor. It's like a boxer, right? And, and boxers need to train well. You know, so he, he's literally, this word has all this in it. It's, it's to train well, to have stamina, to be able to fight well. 
And, but there's a difference. It's, it's not just fight for faith. It's fight the good fight of faith. There's a certain type of fighting that we're called to that is a powerful type of fighting that gives power. Uh, and it's important to call it the good fight because Hebrews 6, remember, says we don't wrestle. Remember, and wrestle is another athletic term that Paul uses all the time. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but principalities. Friends, evil. There is a spiritual darkness that is against our hearts and wants to take us out. And it is, it is, it is weird to talk about that. And that's because evil is winning at times. It is winning our hearts because it makes it awkward to talk about the schemes of, of evil powers against us. Satan moving against God's people. It's true, it's real, and it's happening. And therefore, we better fight or our hearts will be taken out. Typically, we fight to prove our own strength at someone else's expense. You know, if you watch any kind of MMA or whatever that kind of stuff, it's all about my strength and me outwitting someone. This kind of fighting is different. This is a good fight. He calls us the good fight. How? One, we fight evil. Two, it's the most important fight. And three, it's the right fight. This is the kind of fighting we need to do. You know, often when I'm, I'm with a couple, their relationship is spiraled so deeply out of control that their fights are not producing good intimacy anymore. Conflict is so good for marriage. So good. But when conflict leads to tearing each other down, it's no longer good. It's a bad fight. And so what we want, you know, is in the garden, Adam and Eve. Eve reaches for the fruit. There should have been a fight. There should have been conflict right there in the garden of Eden before sin came into the world. And, and here, we want to fight the right fight. And that's the fight of faith. The, the good fight of faith. And it's, first of all, personal. He wants this for Timothy. Timothy, he says it at the end. Guard your heart. Guard, guard what's been given to you, what's been um, entrusted to you. Guard it. Protect it. And, and we do that through fighting uh, and, and believing that, that God is faithful and that he sent his son in our place, right? And, and this, is, this is the gospel. There is a fight for our hearts, a fight for us to rest and believe in something that's not gospel. There's something different that we've been talking about. And I just want to tell you, this is the favorite part of my, my favorite part of my job. Actually, this week, I had a guy in my office. And I, and I have permission to tell you this, but he had a major failure. He was caught in a triangulation thing where he heard about something from this person, and he goes and uses what he heard to this person, and it betrayed that person to this person, and all of it got found out. And it was an absolute mess. And he came in face swollen from crying just really broken because it might have pushed these two people away from God. He was really torn up about it. He sat down literally head hanging. Guess what I got to do? That morning, I was at home, and I got a text from a man in this church named Jesse Holt. You know, you know he is. He plays guitar up here. He's got the cool hair. He's probably listening right now. He, he sent a text to the DNA group, and he said, Guys, I just broke open First Peter, and it's amazing. You can hear him, right? It's amazing. You know how Jesse is. And I was like, Oh, my gosh, I haven't opened it yet. And so I opened it. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. He has caused. By his mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Guess what I had for that guy in my office? That morning, God had dealt with my heart. He had filled me through Jesse, reminding me to run to First Peter, a DNA relationship. 
And, and, and in that moment, I had resources for this brother who came in my office and was torn up because what had happened, and this man's story, I, I know it well, his, he, his dad never delighted in him. His dad never cared for him. And he's always had this search and this need to, for, to see delight in people's face. And, and he sees the opposite now in these two people. He sees hurt. He sees pain in them. He, sees, he feels distance. And, and, and it's, un, it's undone him. And he can't take it. And now he's defined by it. And I got to sit down with him and, and begin to fight for him. That's my favorite part of my job. And I got to say, no, no. Look, what, what is it? By his mercy, he has caused. You are not defined by this failure. What you are defined by is his goodness, his pursuit of you. He sees you and he delights in you. And as I gave him more and more of that, his countenance changed. His face changed. And you could see the power come back into his body as he began to believe it again. He believed his God loved him. He, he started to believe and fight for, I'm not defined by that. That will not characterize me. No. And then you know what he was able to do? We came up with a plan for how to go back to those people. Because now it didn't control him. He was able to take Jesus in in such a way that it, it made sense now, the activity. God's activity, his gracious activity into us, to his inexhaustible forgiveness that he gives us, now became the, the thing central in him to lead him out and to go do the same thing. That's the fight for faith. That's the personal fight that, that Paul sees here. And that personal fight um, is beautiful because of this. The, the burden in the fight is not to carry the burden. And that's, that's very confusing. The burden, the hard thing about the fight is not getting under the burden itself. The hardship in fighting is to let him carry the burden. That's what's hard. It is giving our struggles and hardships and failures over to him and not letting them stay on us. That's the good fight, friends. It's the one that takes the yoke off of us and puts it on where, it deserve, where, where Jesus has allowed it to deserve, on him. That's the good fight. And with that, that faith is expressed in our calling. He says, take hold of eternal life to which you were called. Let me tell you what that is really briefly. That eternal life is this. When, when, oh, and he says, he says, I'm sorry. He says, to which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Scripture, I mean, commentaries tell us that's Timothy's baptism. Baptism, remember, you're, you're, you're buried in his death and you're raised in new life. So he reminds him of his baptism. Why? The new life that you come into. Scripture says the same thing that raised Jesus from the dead raises you from the dead. And now the new heavens and new earth, the victory of the resurrection, we take the future grace and bring it into the present. That's what calling is. It's taking the currency of the future kingdom and bringing it into the now. And that's how we have power, is, is what the victory of the resurrection into the now. And I know it's, it's out there and it's, it's hard, like, what? But that's what, believe, that's what this fight does. Fighting the, this kind of fight, fighting this way, fighting that right battle for your heart, it, it creates this kind of power in us, that resurrection power to go do and be and live out our callings. Now, I have another quote for you. It's the last one, I promise. And it seems to contradict the first quote from Tozer. I don't even know if C.S. Lewis read Tozer and then said this or what, but what I read one article that upholds them both. 
So let's hold the tension of both of these things being true. One, what we believe about God is what we gravitate towards and is the most important thing about us. But then two, look at the other important thing about us. I read in a periodical the other day that the fundamental thing is how we think of God. By God himself, it is not. How God thinks of us is not only more important, but infinitely more important. Indeed, How we think of him is of no importance except insofar as it is related to how he thinks of us. It is written that we shall stand before him, shall appear, shall be inspected. The promise of glory is the promise almost incredible and only possible by the work of Christ. That some of us, that any of us who really chooses shall actually survive that examination, shall find approval, shall please God. To please God, to be a real ingredient in the divine happiness. To be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted in, as an artist delights in his work, or a father and a son. It seems impossible, a weight or burden of glory, which our thoughts can hardly sustain. But it is so. It is so. What God thinks of us. What do you think he thinks of you? And you know the most important time to really ask that question? Is when you do, when you where my brother was on this, this, on Wednesday. When you're in that tough place where you just blew it. When the rubber meets the road, what does he think about you? What are his, like, what's the look on his face? Most likely there's an old face that was really unkind to us that we've put on his. And, and what we need is a fight, a good fight to not allow that face to be central, but to put his there, his delight, his goodness. That's the good fight. Just really striving for our hearts to rest in that. That's the only good kind of strife. And so now, the vision for City Church Eastside is to have and equip leaders in this place to do this. And to be that with people. To, to sit down across from each other and to, and to learn, what is it that your heart's prone to? What is it? Let's flee that. Let's learn to pursue this together. To, to, to be people who sit down with each other and live out that resurrection life together. And to think how it might live out in our callings. So, back to my intro. Can this be a place? Can your DNA group, can this community be a place where you come in and you allow yourself to be seen? Because there's a lot that we need to flee together. There, there's so much more to pursue. Remember, Paul's talking to Christians, mostly. He is, con- he is contending with his enemy, but he's talking to Christians to fight the good fight of faith. He wants them to mature. He wants to sustain them and mature them so that, again, Jesus gets more and more glory to his honor, King of kings, Lord of lords, to his praise, absolutely, and so that we mature as his body as we are intended to be. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you this morning that you love us. And Lord, if there, this morning, if, if there's someone here who, doesn't, who has not made you their priority, I pray, Jesus, Holy Spirit, you would shine that light on Jesus and you would show yourself to them this morning. That you would help them see your willingness, your inexhaustible forgiveness. How you are so kind and so loving and so caring. And I pray, Lord, that we would help that person fight this morning and that they would begin to fight for the grace in them. But we as a body, Lord, help us mature, help us grow into fleeing things that are hindering the intimacy we can have with you. And pursue the things that deepen that intimacy so that we can live out our callings and everything you're calling us to. Jesus, to that end, we worship you this morning, and we need you to lead and and give us that vision for this church, we pray. Amen.
Well, in a sense, what we want to do is we want to continue that prayer uh, through confession. Confession is actually a type of prayer. It is taking, in this case, the reason why we do it right after the sermon is so that we can take what was said collectively, collectively for all of us and internalize it privately. And so as we always do, there'll be a section here at the end of the confession to kind of privately own it and just kind of say, hey, how are these words for me today? How are, how are these words intended for me to be, to be taken in? And so uh, we want to follow along now publicly together using this confession, but then again on the other side of that, there'll be some silence.